Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the jazz session. I'm Jason Crane. The jazz session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is available for free anytime you want it at thejazzsession.com and in iTunes. My guest today is bassist Linda O. Oh. Her debut recording is called Entry, and it begins this way with Morning Sunset. My guest is bassist Linda O. Oh. Her debut CD is called Entry, and it's my pleasure to welcome Linda to the show. Thanks for being here. No worries. Thank you. This is a really fantastic album, debut or otherwise, and I guess I wanted to start off by asking why you did not kind of make the safe choice and you know go with a program of tunes people know done in a variety of styles. Instead, you, you really crafted something distinctly your own. Why did you make that decision? I guess I basically knew that I wanted something different. Um, I wanted something with a direct and bold statement, um, something a little raw, a little sparse, um, and something that would really challenge me, um, challenge my playing, challenge my writing, and challenge my whole concept of um, playing music, really. Yeah. And so is uh, this is a trio CD, we should mention, uh, with uh, trumpet, bass, and drums. Is that formation in and of itself one of the challenges that you imposed on yourself? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, I never really played in that situation before. Like, it, it was never really a regular thing for me. And it is a rare combination. There are lots of um, things you have to overcome in a trio setting like that, obviously without any chords, um, the bass player has a lot of responsibility, but I think more than anything, um, everyone in the trio has to share all the responsibilities. Um, there are lots of issues, um, such as intonation between a brass instrument and a string instrument and blending of the timbres. Um, so, I don't know, it, it was a challenge, and Ambrose and I had to talk a lot about um, certain tuning issues and um, certain register issues in order to combat them, really. Will you talk, uh, first of all, uh, mention the other two people who are with you on the album, but then will you talk a little bit more about uh, some of those issues, some of the ways in which you crafted the sound so that it would fit what your conception was? It's Amber Zekin Mystery on trumpet, a um, brilliant young musician, and Obed Calvert on drums. Um, Obed can pretty much do anything on that instrument. Um, they're both really amazing young musicians that really helped me um, create this album. 
in terms of playing in the trumpet trio setting, um, Ambrose and I talked a lot about um, intonation issues. Um, Ambrose hears things naturally a little sharper than I do. Um, I, we both actually have perfect pitch, but his sense of perfect pitch, he likes to hear things a little brighter than, than, um, than say, 440. Um, so there are a few times when we had to pretty much compromise as to where we wanted the intonation to be. And um, apart from that, I think we just had to be careful um, as to how we were going to blend with each other, especially mixing and um, mastering the record. Um, I had to think about that as well. I mean, in terms of orchestration, it's it's not um, one of the best ideas to put a brass instrument and a string instrument together. You know, in, in many cases, uh, orchestration uh, experts say that, you know, you should put a piano instrument in between or something like that. You rarely ever hear brass and strings in unison together. It was just something we wanted to try and, and something we really wanted to um, shape. And um, over the months, um, now that we've played a lot together and toured together, it's the music has changed and evolved and um, evolved for the better, I think. And it's, yeah, it's just been a great learning experience. When you say that you and Ambrose had to compromise on, on intonation, what does that mean? What what did you have to do to make that compromise? What did what did either or both of you have to do to compromise? Um, well, a, a lot of times in rehearsals, um, we there are some kind of unison lines or harmony lines that we had together. Uh, there were times when I, I would ask Amber to lip certain things down, and and you know, um, basically we had to try and find a compromise so that um, I wouldn't go nuts if, if the tuning was like sharper. Than, than 440 and that he wouldn't have to compromise his natural sound because his, his, his sound for his instrument is, I think, and he, he says as well, is, is just a teeny bit sharper than, than 440. That's where he hears it. Uh, we should mention that 440 is the, the frequency of the A at the center of a exactly. piano, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I really I really like about this record is the orchestration, um, and I, and the the way that that orchestration is used. Um, just to pick one example, uh, the, after your solo in fourth limb, uh, which is almost at the very end of the tune, uh, the drums and the trumpet come back in in this just incredibly powerful way. I think that is that is made more powerful by the fact that the bass. Uh, just alone has been just driving this tune forward. I mean, it's not, it's a, it is a, a, a plucked bass solo that is just very powerful. And it seems like you're able, even with only the three of you, to use the instrument strategically so that you can create uh, these real uh, vast differences in, in dynamics. It's, it really seems to work pretty well, even with only three musicians.
yeah, that's something I actually think a lot about. And I think, um, I think bass can be one of those instruments that people really think that dynamically they can do a lot, which um, I think in this setting and I think in general that um, I think bass, both upright and electric, um, can can do a lot in terms of dynamics. Um, I, I think in many cases people think that they can't and it can be a very flat instrument, but I think, yeah, that there's a lot to be done with it, you know. Um, and and something that I try and do when I do play is, is to make sure that there is some sort of shape, that everything isn't really flat, that it's kind of going or heading somewhere. You seem like uh, a, a somewhat unlikely person to be living the life of a jazz musician in New York right now, will you uh, will you tell folks a little bit about um, where you were born and then where you grew up and how you got into music? Yeah, for sure. Um, I was born in um, Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. Um, my parents are Chinese. Um, I'm, I'm a family with, with two sisters, two older sisters, who I love very much, who I look up to, and um, they played music as well. We all played music at a young age. Um, we all started piano at a very young age and moved to various instruments. When I was growing up, uh, I, we actually moved to Perth when I was three, Perth, Western Australia. And um, when I was growing up, I learned piano and switched to clarinet and, and eventually settled on bassoon. And um, classical bassoon was actually what I wanted to pursue. And it was kind of a toss-up between that and law. And at the time, I was, I was also dabbling on electric bass. I think many people are forced to make the choice between classical bassoon and law. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, really, who hasn't been at that fork in the road, right? We've all, <laughs> yeah. We can all identify exactly with what you're talking about. I'm sorry, yeah. so go ahead. No, no worries. Not at all. Um, yeah, um, basically, I, I liked bassoon a lot, but I knew that um, I, re- I really liked listening to jazz. My first experience, really, with jazz was just playing jazz in a high school stage band, um, playing electric bass, and then I actually played bassoon in a, a youth jazz orchestra, so it was like a big band plus woodwinds and strings, and that was when I looked around and looked at the big band and saw all these ama- amazing musicians in Perth. Um, funnily enough, Perth is, a, is one of the most isolated countries. It's a city, uh, sorry, isolated cities. It's a city of um, about one and a half million people, I think, now, and um, it... it it's a relatively, I don't know, it, it's a busy city, but um, in terms, geographically, it's very isolated, but somehow we've managed to produce a bunch of very talented musicians, and they kind of inspired me to pursue jazz, and um, then I went to the conservatory, and um, at the end of my first year, I was pretty much told that I should take up upright bass, and I was kind of like umming and ahhing at the time, I kind of wanted to be a fusion jazz musician, and then... Um, then I just got hit to Ray Brown and Dave Holland and Scott LaFaro and um, Upright Bass became my thing for the next few years. So I, I missed the jump in there from bassoon to bass. How did that How did that happen? Um, basically, um, I was playing in a rock band. An uncle of mine actually um, donated a bass to me. Um, yeah, I played in a rock band. We played a lot of Metallica and Hot Chili Peppers, and that was like my high school um, passion at the time, um, and from there I um, I played electric bass in the in the jazz band at school. Yeah. Were your older sisters musically influential? Did did they kind of give you stuff to listen to and that they were listening to? Yeah, definitely. My my oldest sister was a huge influence. Um, 
my parents weren't particularly into music. It, w- it was more something for us to do, something to, um, I guess, broaden ourselves with. But my older sister was the one who got me hip to a lot of amazing music. Um, she was listening to um, everything from Chili Peppers to Fela Kuti to, um, to Miles Davis to, you know, um, Faith No More. It, it was it was really great, and um, she she helped me actually develop my musical sense, I think. And um, she actually became a veterinarian in the end, and my other sister became a, a doctor. So, um, but they're still very much into music. Yeah. Well, that's nice that they have actual, you know, kind of established, respectable careers because that allows yeah. room for the one bassist in the family. Exactly. Right? So that's good. That's good cover. So, uh, okay, so you get into the prestigious um, uh, art school in Western Australia, take up bass, get introduced to, to many of the great upright bass players, and that's still a big move from deciding, okay, I'm going to launch myself into this as a career and then move all the way around the world. What Was there a moment when that all kind of came together for you and you said, okay, this is more than just something I enjoy doing, this is what I'm going to focus on for the rest of my life? Yeah, I mean... I knew it was a big leap to go and study jazz, um, mainly because I, I hadn't really been playing it for very long, but I guess the reason why I chose to do it, which can also be my downfall at times, is that um, I I guess I always want to challenge myself, and um, at the time I, I played a lot of classical bassoon, and I listened to a lot of classical music, and I'd, I'd been playing classical music and did really try something different. I went into jazz. My my parents weren't 100% keen on me doing that, and I think in a way, almost that that helped me to um, to pursue it even further. Um, I knew I I really wanted something out of it to um, to grow. I think there was just not always there was always a time when I knew I just I had to do something. I I didn't want to just settle and and um, be comfortable. And so did you come to the States to go to the Manhattan School? Yes, I did. I did my master's there. <laughs> and when did you uh, start at Manhattan? Uh, I went there from 06 to 08. 
And so is that also where the connection with Ambrose and Obed comes in? I know they both went there too, right? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, they weren't there when, when I was there, but um, but that that is how the connection kind of established. And uh, I actually met Ambrose um, years before um, before I moved. I I was in the Sisters in Jazz in um, in the beginning of '04. I actually met Ambrose in, in DC when we were playing at the same festival. That was the um, uh, the IAJE program for women uh, in jazz was that right or no? yes it was yeah mm-hmm, exactly um which was also a tremendous help um if if i hadn't really done it well the reason why um i went to new york in the first place in 2004 was, was to play in that um that uh quintet and it was it was an amazing experience an amazing opportunity so, so what's it been like now uh, making uh, a living as a musician in new york um, you know, it, it's something I do think a lot about, and it's something that I talk a lot about with my friends. Um, I feel like everyone here is, is constantly assessing where they're at and where they're going. Um, I mean, there, there's so many trials that you have to deal with. Um, I mean, primarily financially, I think um, a lot of us have to be very um, smart about what we do, what we choose to take as well as musically what we choose to uh, play, who we choose to play with. Um, I think it's a tremendous challenge, and I think I've grown so much in the last few years just from living in New York. I think I'm lucky in many ways. As a bass player, financially, it's really not that hard to get by. Um, In terms of musically, um, it's been amazing. just the fact that I've gotten to play so much incredible music, so many different styles and genres with, with incredible musicians here. Um, it's a huge learning curve. And I think, had I not moved here, I don't think I, I would have learned as quickly as I did. And and playing with, with these musicians, like Ambrose and Obed and Tommy, um, I've just learned so much about music. And it, it's very much changed my perception of how I used to think things should be, you know, coming from a classical perspective, um, I think initially I thought that there was a sense of perfection that had to be achieved, which I think there's there's a certain level of perfection that that maybe should be achieved, I'm not really sure, but um, it's less about that now and it's more about um, moving people and having some sort of emotion through the music that can... um, I don't know, um, move people and send a message across or something, you know. That sounds like a focus on musical achievement beyond just technical achievement. Exactly. You said earlier, uh, just uh, just a moment ago, that as a bass player, uh, it's not all that difficult to uh, to make a living. Is that because there aren't all that many bass players in New York, or why is that? Um, I, I, I think so. Um, I mean, people always joke around, like, um, whenever they see me carrying the bass around the subway and carrying it up the stairs and in the snow, they always 
joke like, don't you wish you played the flute? I'm like, well, not really. If I played the flute, I wouldn't really be gigging tonight or, you know, I wouldn't have as many gigs. So, you know, it, it kind of comes with the, um, there's a lot of stuff you have to deal with. But um, I think, yeah, I, I think there are probably, if I was a piano player or a vocalist, things would be a lot different, you know. I would, I would be doing the hustle a lot more, yeah. Forgive me if this is a stupid question, but the uh, you know the listeners will be completely at home with that because that's how most of them are. the The cover of this record really, to me, is both. It's kind of like very solitary, very heroic. It's uh, for folks. Uh, you can go to the session dot com and see the cover there. But the uh, the cover has um, uh, presumably Linda or some other similarly heroic uh, female bassist kind of crouched down on the the top roof of a building, looking out over the city and holding a bass in one hand. And it seems, it, to me, it really seems to represent both the the somewhat solitary nature of being really separated from, you know, from where you're from and the people you know, and also the kind of adventurous side of it. Is Am I anywhere near the mark, or was it just a cool image that you wanted on? <laughs> well, um, uh, the idea came when um, I, a friend of a friend of mine um, had some amazing... Uh, artwork that she she drew of um it was it was kind of Korean Asian artwork and um I also knew someone else who was a comic book artist and I I kind of wanted something like that um on the front um I think th- uh the fact that it's me overlooking the city and you're not really sure what the city is I I intentionally did that like it kind of looks like it's kind of the GW bridge um, kind of near where I live, and then there's like a, a building which is actually a landmark building from Perth in Western Australia, and then another um, kind of space needle type building that actually um, signifies um, a building in Kuala Lumpur. Um, so it kind of represents um, how, how I've come here, really. Um, I think I didn't intentionally want like the album to be like, oh yeah, here's me, I'm taking over the world or anything, but um, I think. It's something I've been, I, I guess, growing up in Western Australia, being Asian and having um, two older sisters, we've always kind of um, struggled to fight um, the stereotypes of, of us being, you know, three obedient, very quiet um, Asian girls, you know, very subservient. We've always kind of um, just tried to do our own thing and... Um, and not kind of fit any stereotype um, that anyone has put onto us. So I think I just wanted something that was a bit more me, I guess, nothing, I don't know, uh, something that made kind of a statement, I guess, yeah. You just were talking about, um, you know, I guess what is both a self-image and an external image, um, mm. and I wonder how that, how that image uh, affects your kind of ability to work either as a leader or to just kind of move around in the New York jazz scene. Uh, what What's it been like for you? Um, it, it's been a huge learning curve. I remember when I first um, came to visit, actually the first time I came here was when I was 19, and I was, I was pretty much overwhelmed. I mean, growing up in Perth, it's a very, very different city, um, very, very different attitude. And I think I've changed a lot um, since since then. Um, uh, it's funny. The first time I came here, 
um, I knew I wanted to be involved in the scene somehow, but I think I was I was very overwhelmed by the city. And I, I still remember the first time I went to a smoke jam session, one person actually told me, I, I got up and played. It took me hours to play. Um, like I put my name on the top of the list. It took hours and hours before like other bass players who, who knew the band got up before me and, you know, I had to wait like hours to play. And when I finally played, then everyone was like, oh, okay, cool, you know, she can play. And then someone came up to me at the end of the jam session and was like, you know, you need to put yourself out there. You need to make sure you have more of an attitude and basically be more arrogant because no one's going to hire you anyway because you're Asian and you're female. Um, and that, that was my first experience. I was like, okay, <laughs> you know. And um, it, it, was, it was interesting to hear that from someone. I mean, at the same time, I was kind of like, man, who the hell are you? <laughs> But at the same time, um, I think I've I've grown since then. I mean, I don't believe that anyone should have to be arrogant um, or have some sort of attitude. But um, I I think I learned from that experience that I just wanted to be myself, you know, and um, and just get out there, you know. And and I I do believe that the playing should speak for itself. And so does the does the playing. Uh, cut through a lot of the other issues? I I hope so. <laughs> I, I think of that first and foremost um, above everything else. In the real world, I mean, there are lots of things that do affect um, music, and it, it's not all about the music, I guess, but I think it would be nice if it was. You know? Do you think there are things uh, about where you grew up and the way you grew up and the um, the various kind of cultural influences that that shaped your formation as a person that come through, obviously they come through in your music because it's your music, but are there particular either stylistic things or choices that you make that you think are shaped by some of those influences? I think one of the main ones is um, growing up in, in Perth in Western Australia, at the time um, we were kind of coming out of, uh, well, uh, I guess coming out of some sort of anti-Asian or almost white Australia policy kind of era and um, so I think me and my sisters you know it was it was tough growing up in a especially in the suburb that we lived um, we were like some of the only Asian kids in the school um, so uh, and we weren't really um, we, we didn't have any Asian friends or anything so it, it was an interesting time I think and I think we just learned to kind of be ourselves and just be comfortable with that over time, you know. And I think um, there are a lot of stereotypes that are associated being Asian. I think you know a lot of people expect me to be incredibly studious, incredibly organised, and very quiet and subservient. Um, which uh, we've always been aware that that's what people may think, but we've always just kind of thought, you know what? Who, who gives a crap? You know, we can we can just do what we we want to do. In terms of my music, I think it's helped me just to kind of be a little bit more bold, I guess. I've always tried to challenge myself, I think, and um, not try and just go the easy way out, which may, may be one of my downfalls at times, but, you know, I think, I think that's a good thing um, in any art, is to push yourself um, in, in a direction that you don't feel comfortable with, you know? And I think... At this stage, 
A lot of the music that I want to create is, is more about beauty and about moving people in some way or another. Well, that album certainly uh, does this for me. My guest is Linda O, oh, and uh, she and her trio have recorded an album called Entry. Uh, it's certainly worth repeated listening, and I encourage you to go out and pick it up. And Linda, it's been a real pleasure talking to you, and uh, I hope you'll come back on the show again. Awesome. Thanks, Jason. That's bassist Linda O oh from her debut CD, Entry. I'm Jason Crane. This is the Jazz Session, presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is also available for free anytime you want it at thejazzsession.com and in iTunes. The Jazz Session has a mailing list. You can find it at thejazzsession.com. There's also a Facebook group if you type the Jazz Session into the Facebook search box. I would subscribe to one or the other of those, but not both, because they really have the same content, which is an email in your inbox one way or the other each Monday morning telling you what's coming up on the show that week and also uh, who's going to be on the show in the following week. And there's usually a link or two of interest to jazz fans. You can also follow me online, twitter.com slash Jason D. Crane, and don't forget to subscribe to the show either on iTunes or using your favorite RSS reader. You'll find all the information you need right at thejazzsession.com. Thanks to the Respect Sextet. They're at respectsextet.com. They're playing all over the place, so go see them. They did the theme music for the program. And thanks to Dave Rabel, who designed the show's logo. Please go out and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and then come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session.